Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a miracle made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made, come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Fake the Nation, episode 375. Hello, hello. This is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we wonder if that random ad that Nicole Kidman, where she keeps promoting some sort of vitamin to make her look gorgeous, if that is true, because I'm your host, Nagin Farsad, and I, as, as, as cautious as I am, I am a total sucker for a celebrity vitamin scheme. You know what I mean? I'll buy it. I'll try it. I'll look at my collagen in my skin and see if it's working. Today, we're going to talk about the popularity of the Roman Empire, about shrinkflation in France. Um, we're going to talk about the ongoing writer and actor strike. And finally, Mitt Romney, what is his deal? Um, today, oh, I'm so excited by today's panel, folks. Today's panel is incredible. We are joined uh, with this. You've heard this gentleman on the show before. I think of his podcast as a sister podcast for some reason. Um, they've been so kind to me over the years. He's um host of the podcast, Yo, Is This Racist? Um, he's also a WGA writer on strike, and we're going to be talking about that, so he's incredibly useful for that discussion. Um, and he's just wonderful and fabulous. He is the wonderful Andrew T. Hey, Andrew. Hi, what's up? 
Oh my gosh, it's so good to have you on. Great um, to be here. Rejoining our podcast forces as we have done in the past. Yes. And also on the panel today, for the very first time, now, I, I mean, it feels ridiculous that we haven't met before, and yet we haven't. He's a stand-up comedian. He was the former um, head writer for The Late Late Show with James Corden, because he's just such a talented motherfucker. And he's also the author of a book that's coming out uh, toot sweet, you guys. It's called The T-Shirt Swim Club. It is now available for pre-order and you must pre-order it. What are you doing? It's a book. It's fun. It's fun. I mean, I can tell from the title, T-Shirt Swim Club, though I have not read it. I know for a fact that it's funny. It is the one and only Ian Carmel. Unless this is your ode to like euthanasia or something. I'm not sure what this book is exactly about, it but is, I imagine it is a it is a uh, 60,000 word epic poem about euthanasia <laughs> <laughs> written written in Greek in the in the original style of Homer. Uh, no, again, you just can't stop with that shit. I'm if I'm if I'm anything, I'm cliche. I uh, it's it's a it's a part memoir, part a book of essays about growing up fat and being fat. I used to be much fatter than I am now. I'm still fat, uh, but about growing up fat as a kid and a, as a fat man and everything. And then my sister, who is a clinical psychologist, comes in after every chapter and kind of talks about what I was going through. So uh, it was a lot of fun to write. It's out in June, but you can pre-order it now. I'm supposed to push. Wow, it. like a a brother sister collab. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. wild. Very interesting. Um, sorry, are you guys hearing that? No. Oh, you're not hearing that. Okay, it's my phone. I need to. Uh, I need to put it on airplane mode. Here we go. Sorry, it was ringing onto my computer, and I don't know. Oh. I can't disconnect that. Oh, Here we yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, this is when you learn that you're podcasting with your grandmother. That's what that's <laughs> what just happened there. Um, folks, before we get into the show, I just want to remind listeners they get they can go to patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad everyone's grandmother um, <laughs> and get bonus episodes of the show by sub- supporting the, su- the show, subscribing at patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. We do fun and ridiculous bonus episodes. Um, we also have fun and ridiculous essays and videos and mugs and t-shirts. And oh my God, there's so many tears. Um, so don't forget to go to patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. And by the way, if you are in Boston or in Cambridge or anywhere nearby, I'm going to be uh, at MIT on on Friday, September 22nd. So come out and see me. It'll be so much fun. You're, I'm going to be doing my whole hour. You're performing all at right. the Massachusetts Institute of Technology? We're all comedians. Just, I mean, <laughs> it, the hotbed of comedy, MIT. That is where I'm performing, when, in fact. When yeah. I have a college gig, it's like it's like the Little Rock Community College of School <laughs> and like geology and architecture. <laughs> and you're performing at MIT. That's amazing. Oh, my. Like, and also, I'm totally doing, I'm doing like a, like a, 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 a mini tour of the, of the top tier because I did Columbia <laughs> like a couple of weeks ago. Um, so, oh. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just y- yes to brag, to brag. Michigan um, sent you an offer and you were like, please. I don't know. I know you're hard to get into, but come on, we don't consider you Ivy. <laughs> um, folks, uh, now I feel gross. Okay. Now let us let us move on to topic number one. The amuse bouche. We're going to amuse your bouche um, by addressing a question that's on all of our minds, which is how often do men think of the Roman Empire? And this this isn't just like a random thing that popped into my head. No, no, no. This 
has been trending on TikTok. Basically, TikTokers have been asking the men in their lives, brothers, husbands, fathers, what have you, how often they think about the Roman Empire. And the highly non-scientific findings are that dudes think <laughs> about the Roman Empire like every day, oh, like a surprising and alarming number of them think about the Roman Empire every day. So my, my first question to the two of you, since I have two gentlemen on the panel mm-hmm. today, my first question is obviously how often do you think of the Roman Empire? <laughs> Ian, I feel like you have more think of Roman Empire vibes than me. At least. <laughs> Thank you I'm very, saying, Thank I'm you not very saying much. you're like a big, big uh, Roman boy. I'm I'm co- I'm constantly conquering the Gauls, so it makes yeah. it makes sense that I think about it a lot. I can't stop every weekend. I'm out there conquering the Gauls. I uh, I to be honest. I almost never think about anything. This was my initial reaction. <laughs> my wife walked in and it was like, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? And like my honest answer is like my brain is usually it just looks like Wyoming. It's just dusty. Yeah. There's nothing there. It's a windswept plain unless someone brings up the Roman Empire. And then and I think then, about right. it. And then yeah. it's just gladiators nonstop. Andrew, where are you at? I think this creates its own thing. Yeah, I think like. This it is does, honestly yeah. got to the nature of what is thinking about something <laughs> mean? Because the answer is like, yeah, like never. Um, I think I, I more mostly think of the Roman Empire because I took Latin in high school, like a big old nerd. And my favorite word that still comes up in my adulthood is uh, arbiter bibendi, which is the guy who determines how much everyone's going to drink. <laughs> and that's that's my so only you, Latin. So how often do you think of arbiter bibendi? That comes up, you know, more than you think at a at right. a bar or or such. But I don't know if I consider that the Roman Empire because I feel like that was just a dude who happened to be Roman. But right. is he part of the empire? I don't know. I guess he's usually a citizen, so that's the one and only. But yeah, other than that, never. I would no. A lot of these dudes were sort of praising just the 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 just the primacy of the empire. But I think a lot of them are thinking about gladiators. Yes, <laughs> the movie Ooh, Gladiator. Bless you. The movie Gladiator. I think like. I have also, uh, I will just, this is this is my admission. I've never seen Gladiator. Oh, like I've seen boy. enough clips that I get it. But yeah, and it's just, I don't know. I missed it. And I know I'll see it someday. Okay, but and I, if this yeah. is, if we're doing admissions right now, my admission is I'm not sure if I've ever seen Gladiator. You both need like, to There's a chance that I've seen it and, I t- was, and it meant so little to me that I don't remember <laughs> if I've seen it. If you it. ever run into Hans Zimmer and he finds out that you haven't seen Gladiator, his finest work, in my opinion, it's going to break his tiny little German yeah, yeah, heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, by, by contrast, I think of Hans Zimmer. I think of Hans Zimmer almost daily so yeah. okay I, perfect, so perfect so i sort of make yeah. up for it just him in, as an individual that's your roman empire it's like you're, that's my roman empire you're on a subway um, you're thinking about hans zimmer i think a lot i think a big part of this like roman empire thing like this you ever run into all those people on twitter who they, they're usually it's usually an unpleasant interaction like their their picture <laughs> is like a green yeah. is like a marble statue and their name yeah. is like Western Culture Defender or something like that. You're right. Yeah. And, and they have like a Marcus Aurelius quote like in their bio. I think there's some part of thinking about the Roman Empire that harkens back. I don't know. Something kind of uncomfortable. Something like like yeah. very, very white and powerful yeah. about it now. I will just say, I mean, you know, half of the people who are loving the Roman Empire 
uh, are loving them because of uh, this is the non modern pejorative version. They were the original fascists. Yeah. And, you know, I think some of the current yes pejorative fascists love the old school so uh, and but i also want to point out that some historians have jumped into the fray to note that there were quote numerous forms of masculinity women could have agency and power and there were multiple gender expressions and identities as well as various sexualities yeah yeah. yeah so i think unlike uh your sort of swashbuckling masculinity um of later centuries p- potentially thinking about the roman empire is a little less fraught. They were also, yeah. in, I don't know. They would also like take, like the way they conquered, they didn't like overtake areas, cultures or religions. They would just like incorporate others, other gods into their pantheon. So like that's how yes. well, they just like added. They would just be like, and now that's one of the Roman gods. So everything's hunky dory like that. <laughs> right, 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 right. And that's why right, you would see yeah. these temples to like, like different gods in different places. Um, yeah. yeah. It actually, I mean, I, I will say, having read about this trend, and now that I've read about this trend, the trend is probably totally dead. I feel like once yeah. a trend gets to my <laughs> eyeballs, as we've established, I'm the grandmother of the podcast, The it's over. But um, one, but I think the, my initial reaction was a lot like yours, Ian, which is that, like, I don't feel like I think about historical eras <laughs> at all. No. I mean, just like, and then I'm just like, oh my God, am I just a fucking dum dum? Like, is everyone sitting? Sitting there being like, well, the Aztecs. Oh, is it, is it 1 p.m.? I better think about the Ottoman Empire now. That's what I do daily. You yeah. know what I mean? I just like don't think about history in that way, which made me feel just a little less than. So that's my honest truth. And that I don't remember if I've seen Gladi- Gladiator. I just want to know what's going th- when this person who thinks about it once a day is thinking about the Roman Empire. Are they just sitting there like, ah, aqueducts? Like, what is <laughs> okay. the. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Lead poisoning. I also want to say, as the mother of a four-year-old girl, I see a lot of four-year-old boys, and there is a lot of sword interest Mm -hmm. among young boys that I imagine sort of carries forward. So it could be like a a vague sword interest. Yeah, yeah, or just just like squabbling, squabbling with fisticuffs, fighting. I think the Colosseum. The truly, Coliseum. the movie, the movie Gladiator. Really, I get. I've seen enough clips. I get. Right. The, I get the gist. <laughs> I get it. I get it. You gotta right, get well, in there, on. man. Hans Zimmer broke his foot oh, off no. in that thing. I'm telling you. <laughs> okay, let's move on to more important matters. Um, the French grocery chain Carrefour. As listeners oui. know, I lived in France for a little bit, so it's not a big deal. Well done. Like, je parle français un peu, mais... <laughs> so the French grocery chain Carrefour is adding labels to products that shrank in size but increased in price. Um, I mean, obviously, like, j'adore la France, but also this these shrinkflation labels are basically a corporation shaming other corporations, uh. which is another cute thing. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Ian? Uh, can corporations even be shamed? What do you think is happening uh, over there in France? At least in the United States, the Supreme Court ruled that corporations can be shamed. So I th- <laughs> <laughs> if, they, if they're people, they, they can feel people. shame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think feeling shame is one of the fundamental aspects of being human. And thus, the Supreme Court says that corporations can feel shame. Uh, I My opinion is anything food directed in france especially like when it comes to like legislating or like any of that thing whichever way france goes i will follow 
because just like their quality of ingredients, like the care they put into it, the level of like control they have over what can be considered a certain thing, whether it's like champagne or like what what a baguette has to have. Like, I don't I don't know if this is like if if this is just like a placebo effect or whatever. But anytime I go to France and I eat like you feel better, like I'm being executed the next day. I yeah, barely yeah, gain yeah. I barely gain weight and I feel better. <laughs> and everyone says it's because the ingredients are better. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm gonna assume it is. I want it to be. Have so to, I'll, yeah. I'll just follow anything France does when it comes to food, including shrinkflation jamming. Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> not to get ahead of our, our topics, but it, I think this is awesome because it's like the first, like normally corporations have such solidarity with each other. And to yes. just see corporations openly talking shit about each other is so amazing and heartwarming. Like, just if if this is like the Ralphs going like, you know what PepsiCo did? <laughs> your, your shit got jacked up 18 cents of fluid outs. Like, that's crazy. There's yeah, pro- it's awesome, right? There's probably clerks at this grocery store who are getting like screamed at in French, who are some of the best screamers, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> on the planet about like how how come this costs more than it used to, blah, blah, blah. And they just got to be like, yo, it's not us. All right. Yeah. Just, uh, let's just be very clear about that. And, yeah. and among the corporations that are being shamed um, are uh, Lipton iced tea, Pepsi, um, boxes of lint chocolate, uh, certain baby milk powders. All of these things are um, being labeled with a shrinkflation label. And if it, if you were to see it, would you be like, fuck these guys, I'm going to buy the competitor? I mean, I think I probably would. If I saw that label, I'd be like, fuck these guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, I this is a, such an interesting method, and I, I, I but I also want to say, Carrefour. For those of you who don't know, um, again, I lived in France, so it's not a big deal. Oh, I happen to know. Oh I happen God. to know. Oh my gosh! Wow. Um, I had to, I happened to have done some grocery shopping while I, while I was interesting, there. and um, it it is like fucking Vons, like it's like the it's everywhere. It's the main grocery store. It's not like and it, it, there's tons of shitty food at there as well. I mean, you know, yeah. it's, it's everything in France France is like kind of superior, but still it's still garbage. Yeah. Um yeah. and so this is so that when you think it's not don't think of it as like your high end something. That's not what Calfool is. This is like your straight up all over Hell the country yeah. grocery store chain. So um that's let that vision be in your head. Superior that's, garbage yeah. is a good description of France in general. Yeah, <laughs> but also Vons, take the take the notes. Start snitching on the other corporations. Yeah, you'll go, is, Hey, I think that'll create some brand loyalty. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. All right, folks, let me know what you think about the shrinkflation measure in in the French grocery store chain. I obviously love it. Let mm. us take a quick break to learn about our sponsors, and when we come back, we'll continue chatting. This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, well. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. 
Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there, and you know what? You can update it with an app, so every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A Frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. Headgum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm -hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code HEADGUM at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I have used Rocket Money. And you guys, honestly, I had no idea how many things I was subscribing to that I didn't want to be subscribing to. I think we all go into, we enter into subscriptions with a Pollyanna view that we're going to use as a subscription, even though it's a super obscure, you know, education app from Albania that uh, teaches Russian math or whatever. And then you're like, I'm never going to use this. Why did I get it? I should remember to cancel it. And then you don't. And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help. Because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you with a click of a button. It's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I mean, tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, so stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. Folks, before we get back into the show, I just want to let you know I'll actually be at the Green Space on October 3rd. Join me and Dr. Jeffrey Lewis, nuclear expert and host of The Reason We're All Still Here, as we examine nuclear weapons and non-proliferation policies in the context of... Dr. Strangelove. Yes, that Stanley Kubrick classic. We're going to be talking about the uncomfortable similarities between that movie and literally real life. Um, what has been happening geopolitically around the country, around the world, um, including like what happened with the Iran nuclear deal. Um, this is going to be a really fun show. It's going to be really wild. We'll get into why it falls on individuals with an outsider perspective to change the course of history. 
I don't know, maybe it's it's you. So join me on October 3rd at the Green Space in New York City um, for a really fun live show. You can find details and free tickets at gilded.audio slash live. That's gilded.audio slash live. Gilded is G-I-L-D-E-D dot audio forward slash live. It's going to be fun. And we are back and we're ready for topic number two. So, folks, um, as you know, uh, we're in the middle of a double strike, SAG and AFTRA. I'm sorry, SAG and SAG AFTRA and the WGA, um, writers and actors. But in last week, Bill Maher, Drew Barrymore, and the talk had all announced that they were going to defy the strike and resume production on their shows. But then came the backlash, and then all three of them have since backpedaled. Um I guess, what did you both think of their initial decision to return, and what did you make of the backpedaling? Like, what what brought them to that? I th- I mean, like with like talk shows, I th- I th- and maybe this just is like my because of like my exposure to the the previous strike when like these talk shows did come back. The networks made like Conan come back, and he you know spun his wedding ring on his desk like famously because uh, he didn't oh, have right. didn't have writers. I kind of always thought the talk shows were going to come back. Do the same thing. Yeah. Anyway, because they just took, like, they said it was for solidarity, but they just took their summer breaks. The summer, yeah. You know? <laughs> like, they, like, Drew Barrymore initially was like, I can't do this. And then, like, I'm going to go on my summer break that I probably would have yeah. taken anyway. Um, I can't do this, and I wouldn't have been working anyway, but don't think about that. Right. It's the way I'm yeah. on strike when the show I worked on, like, ended a couple days before the strike. Like, technically, I'm on strike. Uh but so I was very I was I was not that surprised when they were going back on air. I had solidarity with with the rest of the people in my union, but it wasn't one of those things that was like upset me as much as if like a scripted show went back, maybe just because I anticipated it. So I was yeah. honestly I was pretty pleasantly surprised when they said they weren't going to go back on the air. Part of that, I think, is because they couldn't find guests. But yeah, I was I was oh, surprised. Right. I was very pleasantly well, surprised. Well, so in 2000, again, my memory of the 2007 situation was is, is is very blurry, but were there guests in 2007 or not really? I be- there must have been because SAG wasn't on strike. So yeah. I feel right. like there oh, would have been, oh, yeah, 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 been yeah, no no reason to not Dif- have guests. Right. Different type of strike. Right, right, right. right yeah. Right. And yeah, I, so this feels hard. Yeah, you can't even get them to come promote stuff, so it doesn't make sense. And even like on Twitter, you know, I saw like people who were like just – you know, like like the Drew Barrymore type of guest, which is like someone who went pleasantly viral, but is not a public figure in any way. I saw those people who like, you know, aren't members of SAG typically and like don't really have a reason not to go on just saying they wouldn't cross a picket line. Yeah. Which is incredible. Yeah. Like authors are like not going to cross a picket line for the most part. You, like the kind of politicians you would probably want on those shows aren't going to cross a picket line. It was like. <laughs> right. So I, I like I truly don't know who they would have interviewed and they couldn't have any writers to fill all that time. It's hard to fill, you know, 60 minutes of TV. Shoot. It's very hard. Uh, unless you're podcasting, in which case you fucking blather on. It's a breeze. Um <laughs> <laughs> that was the that was sort of the like thing where it's like oh like we're just gonna let Drew Barrymore like talk loose like all right let's I kind of want to see what <laughs> right 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 well so here's what Bill Maher said and I wonder I I thought you know Bill Maher's a little um 
has an acid tongue. Um, he said they're asking. What's a comfortably anti-labor in vibe? Yeah. If not, yes, who knows? Yes. Who knows what he really believes? But I would yeah. be comfortable saying his vibe is anti. Club Random is not is a union club. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But so what? This is what he said. He said they're asking for a lot of things that are like kooky. What I find objectionable about a objectionable about the philosophy of this strike is it seems to be they gave they have a morphed. Um, Wait, they have morphed a long way. Sorry, it's the, the it's one of those things where you read someone else's quote and it doesn't sound like they're speaking English. Uh, they have morphed a long way from a t- the 2007 strike where they kind of believe you're owed a living as a writer and you're not. So um, I guess where are you on this idea that you're owed <laughs> a living as a writer? And I think it's an interesting position, right? Because it is the kind of job writers and actors it's a privileged job. If you can make a living at it, you're very, very lucky. Um, yeah. But really, it's not a necessity for anyone's life, right? Like it's yeah. not a ne- you're not a plumber. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. what what do you think? What do you make of this characterization from Bill Maher? I I mean, uh, yeah, I, I I will say he's being intentionally, or maybe like. You know, he's being obtuse, whether intentionally or accidentally. But the ask is not that you are owed, that any given writer is, quote, owed a living. It's just that for the work that we do, and in the streaming era, there's, like, sort of commensurate and obvious, like, analogs, we are owed a living. So, I mean, I'm happy to give my example, which is I wrote on that 90s show, which is a reboot of that 70s show. Um, And... Uh, for okay, so there and the creative was essentially the same. Everything about writing that '90s show was in every way more or less identical to writing on that '70s show, except because it was on Netflix. We had uh, approximately we had half the episode order. We had approximately a third of the writing staff, and in terms of residuals. Um, I have written on one network show that was sort of a moderate uh, show. And then apparently, but we don't know, uh, that 90s show was a quote unquote huge hit. Um, And I have received per episode about one hundredth of the residuals (laughs) (laughs) Um, for Uh uh identical, identical work. And that's sort of the difference. It's like I am working or was working and now I'm on strike, but like, the work that I did is being compensated at pennies to the dollar compared to identical work for, according to them, you know, acceptable numbers of viewers. And that's the thing that we are striking against. It is that like the streamers have taken away so much money for us doing the same thing at the same level, at the same quality. And they can, I mean, these, the, the companies can modulate the way in which they like seek out compensation with the way, with the pace that the world changes. And they do these production companies, you know what I mean? Like the, like if, and, and they, but if they would have like included us in that from the get go, we never would have had to strike, but they're like, okay, we've got the writers tied to this like archaic compensation program. Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, we figured out other ways to make money. I mean, like if in late night, for example, and this isn't even a thing that's on the table in the strike, but like we got paid fairly because we were on network television every single night. We when we got sold overseas, we got residuals, blah, 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 blah. But also, you know, we would write carpool karaoke's or crosswalk the musicals or those kind of things that would get some of these carpool karaoke 60 million hits on YouTube. More than that, right. like the amount of compensation that would be given to 
like a creator on YouTube. There were there were ad generators, right? Massive yeah. income generator, and like, listen, the show paid for that, and we got paid for the show, and also a huge part of that is the talent of the musical artist and of of the host. But like, there isn't any inclusion, like at that point, if these videos are under five minutes, of the people who write those things that go viral. So it's like. Even that, and that's not even something that's on the table in it. They just, the companies, if they would have been, and they're never going to do this because they're corporations, but if they would have come to the table and been like, okay, we need to make sure that like our writers can afford. Bill Maher said it's a make or miss league. And uh, and that is true. There are a lot of people who come to LA, try to become a TV writer, fail, and have to move back home. Our problem is the people with the makes aren't making any money on it. That's yeah, what right. it is. And that's what I wish Bill Maher would understand. And like- some idea that the 2007 strike was somehow well, more he was, morally justified. Well, if Bill Maher was a French grocery store chain, that's he, right. He would be singing a different tune. He I'll absolutely would. I yeah. Well, let me ask you this, Ian. Um, I was listening to uh, another podcast about the industry called The Town, and um, and they talked about like the uh, the the um, effects of the strike in an ongoing way, like the damage basically of the strike. And, and it's funny because they, they weren't being like anti-writer, anti-actor about it, but they were just like the the damage that the strike will cause is are these possible things. And one of them was late night. Um, do you feel like as someone who was, you know, heavily in the grips of late night, do you feel like late night has lost some of its um, primacy? Yes, but not because of the strike. I do think this is, I do think it's something that is hastening the maybe death of it in certain ways. Uh, death is a strong word. I, well, I do think, I mean, I think we will have, I mean, my, like, I think we will have Fallon. I think we will have Colbert until the, but I think those are probably the last people who will have those jobs unless something like shocking happens. I think the, speaking of primacy, like the, of having a news story break in the day and then having jokes about it that night which was kind of one of the big appeals of late night in addition yeah. to like access to celebrities. Those are both two things. I mean, like the immediacy of jokes and access to celebrities that social media has just completely takes, takes care of faster. And maybe I, I don't know if better, but definitely faster, no, and like I, more in your face. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would almost never say better Yeah, because I think no. there's so much more thought and care and editing that goes on with in, in with your job than anyone puts in on their fucking Twitter feed. You know what I mean? But it's the volume yeah. is a, is hard to compete with. Yeah. It's just the like, there's just so, it, it's it's that like, the, you know, the food is terrible and there's so little, you know, but the portions are huge. Yeah. So like. <laughs> the portions yeah. are so small. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, but it's funny because I get, I've all, always gotten the thrill out of seeing what the show, I, I'm, I'm such a dork, but like I fucking DVR late night shows. Yeah, I, yeah. So that I can watch the monologue and I don't watch it every day, but like, you know, it's like, I, I'd like to know uh, what Colbert or Seth Meyers or something like has to say about these things, what those writers cooked up, what, what kind of polish um, the host put on it. And, and I just like to know it, like to see it, even though like I have access to the internet, I can see a bunch of fucking dumb jokes. It's like, I, I still, I would like to know what the, what the masters think. There's something, and there's something very comfortable about that. There's a very like wet, like I remember when we started the show, Jay Leno, like we were thinking about not doing a monologue. Cause like, I think every show when they start on late night, they're like, how can we shake it up and reinvent the form? And we were like, <laughs> maybe we won't do a monologue. And he said, Jay Leno came in and was like, you have to do a monologue. Because you're welcoming the viewer, 
you know, to your house, to your show. It's a yeah. very welcoming energy. And I think those of us who like grew up with it still very much feel that. Feel it's, that way. Yeah. yeah. This, it's this warm studio and these uh, this audience laughing and this charismatic person like welcoming you there. But like I was on our show for the last three years of it, like every single night, like during the monologue. And I never got recognized. But when I told people I worked on our show, they were like, oh, I love that show. And what they meant was I love watching a YouTube clip or a TikTok of a carpool mm -hmm. karaoke. And I think that more and more is how people who are younger, like, just are going to interact with are those consuming kind of things. things. Yeah. They're not, they're not DVRing. The no. <laughs> but you know, the other reason that like late night is sort of like trapped in this thing is because like well compensated late night is on network television. If it were possible, for instance, like a streamer or like, you know, some version of YouTube to be like fairly or commensurately compensated, maybe, you know, like a person like James Corden or whatever would be able to pivot to a more like nimble, less in the network thing and still like bring his skills that people want to the globe. It's just like not possible either. Like, yeah. and, I mean, Andrew, what about the other thing um that people are banding about, which is just that there's going to be fewer shows in general um, and that just the schedule for 2024 is going to be fucked. Can you talk a yeah. little bit about how you see that, all that stuff coming <laughs> down the pike? I mean, the schedule is fucked. Um, I think the, the thing that is fascinating is watching the, uh, the, the, uh, the conglomeration of studios that we are striking, I guess we're striking against all the studios, not necessarily members of the AMPTP, but the studio uh, negotiating group is called the AMPTP, um, which, uh, and I'm, I should say, I am not speaking uh, for the Guild or other writers in any way. I've only, not even Ian, I'm speaking for myself. It is weird how it, this has become like sort of this like death cults, this anti-union death cult among the studios, weird. they are way past financial sense. Like we are not, we and the actors are not asking for enough to justify the amount of money they have lost. Um, and individual members, like it is nearing, unless something happens in the next couple of days, which it might, by the way, the, as of recording um, negotiations, seem like they're resumed today but, yeah. uh so far every negotiation has also been um a publicity stunt by the amptp so we'll see you know it's not clear whether real negotiations have resumed however like you know i i like sony an entity that doesn't have a um streaming platform and most of our demands not all but you know a good majority of our demands sort of go to the the streaming business model like they're set to just drive off a cliff with netflix in an effort to save netflix only well netflix <laughs> apple and amazon only and not have a 2024 blockbuster theatrical season so I wouldn't weird. do that if I were yeah. running Sony. I mean, my favorite thing, I, I wish I like clocked who wrote this tweet, but my favorite tweet that sort of summarizes this is I saw someone wrote, Dear CBS, Sheldon ain't getting no younger. Like, <laughs> why are they defending Netflix? This is so crazy to me. But yes, we are poised to, to have, you know, sports and news only for your TV screens in 2024 if these uh, fools don't get their act together. And and meanwhile, Netflix is more than happy to just keep putting out like dubbing like 
you check check yeah. Czechoslovakian television shows, you know what I mean, or whatever, yeah. with like an English wash, and then present them like there's some new American show, and it's like, look, we have yeah. new content, we have new content, yeah. kind of thing. That also, by the way, seemed look. I don't know. They don't release the numbers. It seems like it's not working because Suits. Uh, is it's still uh, yeah, is yeah, running yeah, yeah, yeah. better than these like repackaged and guess what like you know like i of you know i just remember teenage andrew i would love like if the global dominated form of media was foreign films but guess the fuck what <laughs> like it's not gonna most happen. people don't want that yeah 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 i want mouth to match up with word there's like a lot of people yeah. sitting at home yelling that also it's there used to be, I think one thing we get back to, and like, I mean, uh, there's larger economic forces, but uh, at work here, it used to be the people in charge of these studios at the end of the day loved TV and loved movies yeah. and wanted to make it. And now yeah. it seems like that's been replaced completely. And this is so saccharine, but like completely with just like a love of money. And there's not yeah. even any more like this, like. Part of it being like, well, at least we make something that we love and people love. And like, I don't know. I just I just yeah. miss that feeling. Well, yeah, I, it's it's so I bizarre. think I think, Andrew, your point about about Sony is so on the money. It's so weird because I could just picture Sony being like, um, you guys actually like what's happening? Like, why would they fall off a cliff? It's it's so weird. It just, and my I had been saying for a long time, I was just like, oh, after Labor Day, everyone's going to feel it. There's talks will immediately resume and it'll all be done within days. Like that was my pred prediction. And I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens today. But yeah. um, but it it start it it's starting to I mean, it th I think the other thing in terms of like drawing blood from from people who are protesting um, for people who are picketing, it's like we've always been able to have multiple jobs. Like we know how to do that. So it's like, a, it's, I think it's oddly easier for us to picket than it is for the corporations. You know what I mean? Um, I don't think Reed in, Hastings in has way. ever treated top ramen as two different meals because you can have the noodles at one <laughs> and, the, and then the sauce packet at the other. Like exactly. I, I did, I did years doing that and I was taking improv classes at night. Like I'm built for this, dude. Well, exactly. Yeah. It, oh, oh, fucking yeah. try me. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right, folks, let me know. What do you think um, of these ongoing? Are you are you watching Suits? Or do you feel like you've run out of television? <laughs> Hit me up. Let me know what you're thinking about these ongoing strikes. Um, and let us move on to topic number three. So there's a new biography of Mitt Romney coming out. We read a very juicy excerpt in the, in the Atlantic. And among the many things this piece revealed was that Mitt Romney will totally dish on his colleagues. Um, he's basically in the parlance of 20 in the zero fucks phase of his tenure. Um, he's tattletailing on everyone uh, and notably that they all hate Trump and think he's just a real dum-dum um, who probably never thinks about the Roman Empire. Um, <laughs> let's... I disagree about that one. I think he's only got <laughs> he's, he's the, only Roman Empire about the Roman Empire. Yeah. So we'll talk about some of the details. I'll, I'll bring up some of the details. Um, but before we get into all of it, my first question is, were you surprised that Mitt dished so hard and um, and then and then everybody does actually hate Trump? I mean, I think we all kind of knew that, but it's like fun and, and nice to hear someone with firsthand knowledge actually say it. Um, he the, it, the, the biography writes, in fact, they, quote, ridiculed his ignorance, rolled their eyes at his antics and made incisive observations about his warped toddler like psyche. Uh, what do you guys think? Were you surprised? 
I think he could. I I would say I don't know if he's at zero fucks given because I think he could dish harder. Yeah, That's interesting. Okay, I think he has a lot of fucking dirt. And and look, I know he doesn't have a time machine, but it's also a little like, yeah, you're doing it now. Of it is a little like, come come on. I I yeah. I I it's like well, I yes, mean for like a, it's he's nice like to a, hear, but yeah. But he's like a, I mean, I feel like this is his version of Zero Fucks yes, as a gentlemanly Mormon. Yeah. Right. As you know what I mean? I would have yeah. been surprised. Like, yeah. Yeah. I would have been surprised before I saw The Real Housewives of Salt Lake. And now I'm like, oh, okay. They, they got this gear. <laughs> this is a gear. Uh, it's, <laughs> I don't know. I think it's, I, I, I guess I'm not surprised. I think like I, I, like you said, I think this is his version of like hit him up. This that's sure. like this is what Mitt Romney is capable yeah. of uh, yes. from from behind an eight thousand dollar buttoned blazer, you know, with brass buttons, kind of thing. Like <laughs> it's I also it's it's a strange thing, like the Overton window, right? It moves so much that all of a sudden you find yourself like, yeah, fucking go off, Mitt Romney. You know what I mean? Where you're yeah. like. <laughs> 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 but I mean, it's here's the thing that I was really struck by too, and I don't often think. I, I got to be honest, like I, I don't often think about the peril of speaking out um, against Trump, and and like and I mentioned this on the podcast before, but like I've you know I've been in right wing crosshairs named an Islamo fascist in in. Um, in some, in like the Daily Caller and Breitbart and those kinds of uh, websites. And I'm sorry about and- those articles. It was before I became familiar <laughs> yeah. with your podcast. <laughs> this Get is before clicks. you turn into a late night writer. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, you know, and, and it is unpleasant, right? And, you know, and I've gotten threats and all that stuff. It's totally, totally unpleasant. And and uh, so I get that there's like fear involved. That what, what Mitt Romney describes sounds way fucking scarier in terms of like the, the danger you put yourself in, you know? Yeah. Um, I was in right wing crosshairs before Trump uh, came to office and I thought it was it was like unsavory. Like this sounds really outright dangerous. He spends, as the article points out, five thousand dollars a day on security for his family. Man, um, I got you for two K, by the way, just <laughs> not to undercut. Just I just throw it out there. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but, you know, that's not the kind of money that everyone can throw around. Mehram is extremely rich. Uh, so I think, do you feel a touch more sympathy with everybody knowing how dangerous it is to speak out because Trump fans are so fanatical? I I, 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 I think I'm coming at this from uh, like a, the farther left perspective, which is like, I, I if I'm in his shoes, I'm like members of my own political party, of which I am a prominent national leader and recent presidential candidate, mm. might murder me. Mm. I have credible fears of them murdering me, but I am sticking with these guys because I gotta keep my taxes low. And I just find that to be a per a type of like cravenness that I find less like. I just, I like, I can't, I just don't like, cause you right. can leave, you can leave my man. Like no one is forcing you to be a Republican. But except also for what I'm understanding is that it, if in fact, like 95% of these people actually do, who, who publicly support Trump actually think he's dumb and dangerous. 
If they just chatted to each other and were like, hey, today, let's all reveal that we don't support him anymore, then Trump is over because Trump has followers that keep him relevant. But that's not where he gets the real relevance comes from his support from Congress. Yeah. Otherwise, he's just like a TikToker with a fan base. You know what I'm saying? So like it's I feel like. The real relevance comes from the from the besuited members of Congress who are not speaking out. If they all just banded together, did it all at once, mm-hmm. I think we could really do some business maybe, here. Maybe. Listen, I'm just saying, not to go back to Roman Empire, but, you know, senators used to handle shit. Uh, <laughs> 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 you know, just saying. Just saying. Well, now I'm going to think about it every day. I... I but also all of these members of Congress are hanging on by a thread. You know what I mean, and like are constantly mm-hmm. worried about. Although I mean, we've seen a little bit of that swing the other way uh, in certain elections with like the anti-Trump candidate Republicans. But like they're all terrified at the same time. So even yeah. like the idea of banding together is like we can band together, and then next next election half of us are gone. You know, like right kind of thing. And I also think like. I don't like I try I try to not indulge the more alarmist parts of my psyche because I just don't think that's good for anyone. But like there is, you know, like if you read like Jeff Charlotte or like any of those other people who like cover this kind of thing, the the idea of like relevant parts of this country thinking that a civil war is going to happen like they're they're like preparing for it, buying guns for it. They think it's going to happen like how Christmas is swinging around this December, like that kind of thing. And I guess if you're amongst those communities more often and you hear from those people more often, like it would feel a lot scarier. And I there's probably some semblance of feeling like you have either created or at least indulged this monster or or ridden the wave of this monster to where you're at. And then having also a sense of having lost control of it or never having had control over it, like, in the first yeah. place. And I think that is really, like, you know, that's 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 unnerving. That's really scary. Um, let me point out a couple of other little tidbits from the piece. Uh, 20 senators here do all the work and 80 are along for the ride um, was part of it, which I thought was really kind of funny and also sort of like... I just picture them all in like their own little cubicles, like complaining about how, you know what I mean? Like 20 of them being like, oh, I have to do it because fucking Richard Burr's not doing it, you know, or whatever. Um, so I so I think that's, that was funny. Also, they all, the Senate, the Senator's gym is a scene. Um <laughs> And then, and he describes like Richard Burr on a treadmill, like wearing yeah. his like pantsuit and, and like loafers, which I just love that scene. Uh, it also, I'm like, I get maybe you're at a hotel, you're traveling in a pinch, you really need to like just clear your head, just get on that treadmill with your like suit on. I get that, but at your home gym, yeah. <laughs> where you have. <laughs> Like where you could bring a gym bag? Like let's what are we doing? Mitt Romney's um, work ethic at 70 is truly that is very impressive. The fact that he's like, let's do this when he could just chill. And also, you just kind of know in a slightly different world, he'd be one of those I'm retired gym influencer TikTok guys. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where he like, you know, you know, the every when he reads the London Financial Times, he's in a plank the entire time. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god. <laughs> 
Yes. Broad set, baby. Well, yeah, but the other funny thing about the piece was like, you know, he's got this whatever wonderful family, wonderful wife, the whole thing at home. But in D.C., he's kind of lonely, you know, like the GOP doesn't want to really be seen with him. So he's I can't handle, you know, he can't do that. Um, his wife doesn't like coming to DC. So like the house is empty. There's nothing in the refrigerator. He's probably is making two meals out of a, you know, yeah. a ramen. Yeah. And, um, but he's getting the, the good, the good shit. <laughs> oh yeah. He's yeah. getting that. It's flown in from Erewhon. He knows Mitt Romney <laughs> knows about Erewhon. He's got that. He wears selfish jeans every now and then he knows. <laughs> um, okay. Well, uh, I also I'll just end by saying, and I, I maybe mentioned this last week, I'm not sure, that he is he announced his retirement yeah. and encouraged yeah. Trump and Biden to join him to make way for younger people. Uh, obviously, <laughs> this will have no impact, but will this have an impact? <laughs> I just like how he's like the ripped Flanders of D.C. He's just like, oh, like, like so good and so pure in a way, but like. It's just never good. He's not for this world or this time. It, yeah. <laughs> the, Mitt Romney, the, not for this world or this time. The generational schism of, I guess, politicians in general, but especially like conservative politicians. I don't know if this is something that every generation goes through and now it's just our turn. But like he is one of the few true like old guard conservatives who like kind of built their brand up the old fashioned way. And like, and then you have this other, the Lauren Boberts and the, you know, like, like those people who like got it, like this, this like new kind of conservative where I'm, where you kind of wonder, like, do you even believe what you're saying? Or are you just doing this right. like for clout kind of thing? And I did for, for as much as I disagreed with him on fundamental things, I did think that Mitt Romney maybe believed in what he was saying, even if he was just saying it because he's a rich guy and he wants his taxes to be lower. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I guess there's something. It's the enemy I understood. And now it's I, I do. Right. Miss, I do miss like that. Now the new enemy is one where I'm like, I, I feel about it the way I feel about TikTok follower people with 500,000 followers where I'm like, right. I don't understand any of this. Right. And 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 it it was he's one of those guys that if like he had become president in 2012. We would have been like, oh, but like, OK, like it wouldn't have been. It's like the kind of president we've we've understood, yeah. right? Like yeah. conservative presidents that we've understood. It's like not, you know, it's not it's not awesome, but like it'll be fine. You it's know? it's like well, I'm getting on this airplane. Uh, at least the pilot knows how to fly this plane, even yeah. though you know what I mean. Even though it's like <laughs> exactly. it's flying to exactly. Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I don't want to go there. And like, and you know, if like if if Lauren Boebert or somebody else, if Tim Scott or whoever, if they get their hands on the plane, I'm like, we're gonna crash in the side of a mountain. Everyone's gonna die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> folks on that note all right that is the end of the show what a fantastic show i mean how great are the two of you at fucking chatting so Ooh. good and i want the people of fake the nation to be able to follow you and the wonderful things that you do andrew where do they do that uh you know uh yo is this racist i'm on uh twitter at Andrew T. I get, I get, you know, find me on Spill, whatever. Who cares? <laughs> if you want, same name at social media, it's fine. 
Um, that definitely follow Andrew. Definitely listen to Yo Is This Racist. I know we have um, some some crossover audience listeners, so uh, yes. it's such a fantastic podcast. Um, Ian, where do they find you? Uh, I'm Ian Carmel with a K on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, all those places. You can listen to my podcast, All Fantasy Everything, where we fantasy draft uh, pop culture things. Uh, so it'll just anything from the world of pop culture. Uh, and yeah, come see me on tour doing stand up comedy. I'll be in, uh, Vancouver, BC. I'll be in, uh, oh, where are, oh, Austin, Texas. I'm doing Portland, Oregon, Revolution Hall soon. So, uh, yeah, just find me on my, uh, socials and pre-order T-Shirt Swim Club. Pre-order T-Shirt Swim Club, you guys. It sounds like a, such a phenomenal book. Um, you should pull quote me phenomenal book and I haven't even read it. <laughs> phenomenal book. Like, yes. Um, folks, you know where to find me and all the things that I do, but just a reminder that I'll be at MIT on Friday, but then I'll also be in Ooh. San Diego doing the way we don't tell me stand up tour on September 27th. I'll be in San Francisco on September 29th. Um, I have dates coming up in Philly in DC. Um, and so I would love to see you in these, um, many American towns. Uh, and, and um, we want to thank everyone who makes this show a possibility. That's our wonderful producer, Andrew McGuire. Thanks to Gabby Alter for our wonderful theme music. Thanks to everyone at HeadGum for making the show a possibility. If you have any ideas, suggestions, thoughts, please email them at fakethenationpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's fakethenationpodcast at gmail.com. And otherwise, we will be back in your earballs next week. That was a HeadGum Podcast.